I'm Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. He's Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. We're pleased to have as our guest here on Saturday the rock star from Baseball America, Jim Callis. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim Callis, B.A. He's the executive editor of Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com and always one of my favorite guys to talk to. Jim, thanks for joining us on the Bucks Dugout podcast. Oh, no, glad to be here. Always good talking to you guys, too. Hey, uh, Jim, uh, have you gotten any sleep in the last couple of days? Where are you now and where can people find your stuff over the course of the next uh, four to five days? I have gotten a little sleep. I mean, uh, it's interesting. I, we, we did a top 500 prospects list this year. We kind of we, we were doing the same amount of coverage. We were presenting it differently at BaseballAmerica.com, and the, 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 we, there's more work up front to get the top 500 done. And so it's made this week a little less uh, stressful trying to bang out all these state by state lists that we do because a lot of that work was done with the top 500. But uh, I'm in Secaucus, New Jersey, right now. Um, I'll be part of the MLB Network broadcast on Monday. I'll be part of MLB.com broadcast on Tuesday and, and also contributing all kinds of stuff, including at least one more first-round projection, and, and you might get a, a late afternoon one from me on Monday, so there might be two, uh, doing all kinds of stuff at BaseballAmerica.com and, and, as you noted, answering a bunch of draft questions on Twitter as well. Uh, so we're going to get to see your mug on television on Monday night? On Monday and on, uh, I don't know if it counts as television if it's an internet broadcast, but uh, Tuesday as well, yes. All right, fantastic. Well, let's get to the Pirates uh, in general, Jim. Neil Huntington here in his, I I think, his fifth draft. Uh, The organization seems to be bereft of prospects at the highest levels. We uh, we know that uh, Cole and Tyone are there uh, a little further down. What is your sense of where the Pirates stand overall and your kind of view of Neil Huntington and, the, and their draft strategy since he's taken over? Well, and, you know, it'll change this year with the new rules, but I mean, since Neil's been there, they've spent more on the draft than any other team, which is, I, I think, exactly the way you have to go. If you're a smaller revenue team, the draft is not only the, the biggest bargain in player position compared to, say, major league free agency or international free agents, but it's also the one arena where the Pirates could and have you know, not just competed with, say, the Yankees, but, you know, outspent the Yankees and, you know, put a lot more into the draft than, say, the Yankees have. You know, I think, I think, you know, I think it's kind of a middle-of-the-pack farm system. I and mean, you have Cole and Tyone, who are probably the two best, you know, probably the best pair of pitching prospects in the minors. I, I still think Sterling is going to be a pretty good player. You know, not necessarily superstar. Um, it's a little bit mixed. I mean, I, I think they have a middle-of-the-pack farm system overall. There's some depth. Yeah, you know, for all the money they've spent, they'd love to see greater depth and more star power. Do you think they have improved? Um, and then I do think when he took over, it was very tough. So I think they had one of the worst farm systems in baseball, and it's not really a whole lot of assets on the major league club that you were going to turn into anything. So I think they've made progress. You know, I'm sure if I was a Pirates fan, and <laughs> I lost track of how many losing seasons it is in a row now, if it's 19, 19 or 20 19. or whatever. Okay, 19. You know, I mean, I'd be frustrated that they weren't making progress. But, you know, I, I, I think yeah, I guess you kind of look at it like everyone. You know, they've progress. You would like to see a little bit more. I don't think they've done a bad job by any means. You know, could they do a better job? Yeah, and I think probably any GM would tell you. You could probably, there are moves he'd like to have back and, and things they'd like you to do differently. And, I mean, probably, you know, when we're talking about the draft, the, the, the highest profile move that I guess hasn't worked out 
was the Pedro Alvarez signing. And, and you know, I mean, like I've said this many times. I thought Pedro was the best player in that draft, and I'm astonished he's not been more productive in the big leagues. I mean, I don't think that's anything. I mean, that one goes as a, you know, to this point, a black mark on the Pirates' ledger under Neil. But, uh, you know, I don't think you could argue with the decision at the time, and, and I don't know what the explanation is for that. Because if, if the Pirates screwed that up, I think there were 29 other teams that would have screwed that up, you know, picking number two that year. Uh, obviously, we want to spend a lot of our focus here today on the draft, but I'm just going to ask you about one guy. Uh, you guys in your prospect uh, hot sheet that came out yesterday, I don't know if it was Ben who wrote it or you, Alan Hansen was eighth on that list for the week. And I think the, the tagline in the, uh, in the write-up was, the biggest breakout prospect in baseball this year. Can you just give us your thoughts on him? He's some somebody that clearly, you know, Pirate fans are paying a lot of attention to now. Yeah, you know, Alan's a guy who's, you know, you know, a very athletic kid who was in the Gulf Coast League last year and had a, a nice U.S. debut. But, you know, Gulf Coast League stats you kind of have to take with a, with a grain of salt um, you know, because it's such a low-level competition. He's jumped up to low-class A this year and just shown the ability to do a lot of different things. He's a switch hitter, hits for average. He's, I don't know if he's going to slug close to 600 like he has so far, but he's got some pop. Um, he's got the speed to steal bases. Um, you know, he's got a chance to stay at shortstop. You know, but, you know, if he keeps producing anywhere close to this and he had to move to third or second, he's doing just fine. Uh, he's a very well-rounded player. And uh, it's, it's funny sometimes, you know, your, your best international signings aren't necessarily the guys who, you know, he didn't get the, the high-profile uh, signing that Luis Redia did. But, uh, you know, some of these, these lower-profile uh, international signings really turn out to be pretty good players. Jim, moving on now to the draft, uh, your recent mock draft for Baseball America had uh, Mark Appel, Byron Buxton, Mike Zanino, Kevin Gausman, uh, Kyle Zimmer, Albert Amora, and Carlos Correa going in the first seven picks. That would kind of represent a worst-case scenario for the Pirates going into the eighth pick, but it also seems fairly likely what do you think, as a, as a percentage chance, what do you think of the possibility that one of those players drops to the Pirates? Um, I think it's a good chance. I mean, I, you know, obviously I think that was the most likely scenario as of yesterday afternoon. And, you know, but I, you know, the drafts never unfold exactly like you expect. And, and you know, we put, I put so much work into doing those mock drafts, but I'll, I'm also honest about them. It's really this week and the decisions are going to get made. Not that the players haven't been evaluated, but you know, especially with the new draft rules, you know, teams you know want to know and need to know exactly what players are going to sign for, and, and I think there's going to be some some jockeying. Uh, you know, I I, I, don't, I I do think it's going to be a power Buxton at number one. You know, Correa could go number one, and then the dominance would fall in a different order. But, you know, Correa has done a lot of workouts recently, and excelled. It seems like just about every team picking ahead of the Pirates. So you know, everybody has him going one or two or three. You know, different scenarios. And I'm not sure exactly where he's going to fall, but there's a good chance to say that he could go three instead of Zanino to the uh, to the uh, Mariners. And then I think that would set off a chain reaction where then the Padres would take Max Fried uh, if Carlos Correa is not there at seven. And then Mike Zanino would be there for the Pirates at eight, which would be a good pick. And there's, there's a whole bunch of other different scenarios, too. I mean, you can have a scenario where it goes Buxton one and say Correa goes two, and then the pitchers unfold in a different way. There's a little bit of... I think it's a little overblown with Kyle Zimmer, but because he had a hamstring injury at the end of the season and wasn't as sharpest, I think teams are cooling on him just slightly. You know, he doesn't have the long track record that uh, Pell and Gossman do, although at the same time, if, if you want to spin it, you could say he has a fresh arm. Which is a different way of saying the same thing, but I think there's a chance that maybe Zimmer doesn't go five to, you know, doesn't go five to the Royals. 
and then these, these guys unfold in a different way. So I, I think, I think there's, you know, I had to put odds on it, 50-50, because I just think it's very rare if, you know, one, I mean, that was my, you know, a well-educated best guess yesterday, but it wasn't like those picks were locked in. And it just takes one of those names to go in a different order, and then it could, it could topple a guy or two. I also wouldn't rule out. I haven't heard a specific name, but you know, if one of those teams, you know, may say, you know what, we would rather cut a discount deal with a guy who's not one of the consensus top eight players, and then save a bunch of money we can spend elsewhere, and then you have the. I really don't think there's any way this guy's going this high in the draft. I and mean, we have this, the specter of Lucas Giolito hanging over all this, too, where, you know, he was the best high school pitcher in the country, but he tore, uh, you know, he has a, a sprain, you know, which is by definition a tear in his pitching elbow to happen in March and, you know, won't be able to pitch on the mound before the draft. He'll have been out for three months, and, and nobody has a sense of what his sign ability is. But, um, the, you know, maybe, you know, I, I have no idea where Giolito's going, but, I mean, if somebody thought, hey, you know, we can get Giolito and we could do him at a discount and then extra money and, and this would be the best of all possible worlds, then you know, there's, there are guys who could go ahead of the Pirates who aren't even in that top eight. Based on, uh, based on what I've heard about his, his uh, bonus interests, I mean, it seems pretty likely that Giolito could wind up at UCLA. What do you think about that? Yeah, I do, but I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows what his bonus, you know, what second price is going to be. He's a guy, if he hadn't been hurt, probably would have gone in the top three picks. And, you know, not that everybody's necessarily getting full pick value, but those picks are valued at $5.2 million and up in the, in the new CBA. And the sense as of now is that, you know, the family's looking at it as, you know, he's, gonna be, he's not going to need surgery, he'll rehab fine, and, and he'll be this guy that everybody wants. You know, that's the, the one side's looking at it. The team's not uh, necessarily looking at it the same way. They're looking at there's risk, you know, who knows, maybe he needs surgery eventually, in which case he's out for a year. And it's hard to figure that out. And but, but the thing is, that makes it even more difficult is if they, if they are going to lower the asking price, there's there's really no reason for them to lower the asking price before Sunday's earliest. If, if I'm the team, I mean, if I'm the player and the family, I'm going to wait and see you know, if somebody still thinks my kid gets $5 million. I'm not going to – if I go ahead and start talking about a discount, say, on Friday, well, then you know, that horse has left the barn. We're, we're signing out a discount. So – I'd explore every possible option, which is probably what they're doing. And, if, you know, if it gets to Sunday night, you know, and, and let's say nobody's fighting, and, and I don't even know what the asking price is, but let's say it's $4 or $5 million, and, and it's to Sunday night and nobody's buying in for 4 or $5 million, family, you know, could have another discussion and say, okay, well, what do we want to do here? Maybe we want to sign and we lower the price. But the thing that nobody knows, it's not like there's a number out there. Uh, nobody, it's all wild speculation. But, but I agree with you. I mean, if he's... He's not going to have a clean bill of health before the draft. You know, elbow injury is not a career killer. You know, but if he, you know Tommy John, a lot of guys will come back from that. But you know, you can also look at it that you know sometimes guys who are that young and throw as hard as, as G. Luna does, and he's been up to 100 miles an hour. You know, there's some people who think that you know too many bodies and built to handle throwing 100 miles an hour. So you, you just there's just a lot of risk. And I'm with you. I, I think I think there's a chance with these new rules. That if so they didn't have a five million dollar asking price, and again you know, I'm just speculating. If that was the case, I think the chance he might not even get drafted. I um, mean, somebody may take him late, but I mean they have no ability to sign him with the new rules. And and so I think you know I think it all comes down to the asking price. If the asking price you know begins with two, then I think he probably signs. Somebody figures out a way to get that done. If it, if it doesn't, then I do think he winds up at UCLA. Uh, Jim, if you were if we look at your your mock draft, which people can find on on a uh, ba.baseballamerica.com and and it's free 
if you were going to rank these guys in terms of ceiling, the top eight guys you have on your list, how would you rank them? I would go Buxton one. I would go Correa two. I would go, um, hmm, okay, let's I go Buxton one, Correa two. I would probably line up pitchers in a row and go Appel three. Well, if we're doing ceiling, I'd do Zimmer three, Appel four. Dawson five, you know, I go Freed six, Almora sevens, and Nino eight. Although, I mean, again, if you then you factor out how you know realistic you know chances of reaching their ceiling, the other order would be different. And I might be a little bit low because we're just doing ceiling. Freed's a lefty. Freed probably would be number three. Yeah, so I'll revive. I'd go Buxton, Correa, Freed, Zimmer, Appel, Gossman, uh, and then and then Almora, and then Zanino. And let's talk about Max Fried a little bit. Uh, why don't you tell us about him? Because he's not only the guy you have going to the Pirates, but Charlie did a piece, uh, a nice piece on SB Nation Pittsburgh that's linked to uh, on Bucks Dugout, where he talked about likelihood uh, of being available, available and then probability of being picked. And he also came up with Fried as being kind of the guy uh, if you could put, you know, at, at probably at 50 percent as being the most likely guy. Can you tell us a little bit about him and what your thoughts? Well, the interesting thing is he's on that same high school team, Harvard Westlake, out in Studio City, California, is Giolito, and he's he's a, he's six three. He's really athletic. I mean, you got a chance for three plus pitches, you know, fastball, curveball. You know, he, he you know nobody's throwing to change much in high school when you have the fastball and curveball he does, but he shows a good one when he does. Um, you know, I think if you're looking for a draft comp, a recent draft comp, I think he's kind of similar maybe to a Clayton Kershaw. The Kershaw's curveball might have been a little bit more devastating, but I think they're pretty similar to when Kershaw was the number seven overall pick in the draft. And, um, you know, it's, it'll be interesting on him. I think there's a chance, you know, I was talking earlier about how it might be cooling on Zimmer a little bit. You know, the Royals, everybody thinks it's five that the Royals definitely want to go pitching. Well, if Appel and Gossman go and they decide that, you know, for whatever reason, yeah, Zimmer didn't finish strong, we can't quite do that, I think Freak could go five. Uh, I think... I think unless Carlos Correa is there at seven, uh, you know, barring somebody else surprisingly falling, I think the Padres would take Fleet at seven. So, um, you know, if the top seven picks don't unfold, you know, the, the top of the draft, you know, top four or five picks don't unfold like I like I have them. Fleet might not even make it to the Pirates, and, and then they'd be looking probably. The, the second most likely guy to get to them is probably Albert Almora or, or maybe Zanino. What do you think of the Pirates' chances of, of drafting Devin Marrero at this point? And just, you know, from, from our vantage point as outsiders, we see a guy who is struggling to hit at the college level. Um, what additional offensive upside might he provide that might make him worth that pick? And, Jim, I'll give you a little background. I mean, all, all hell's broken loose on, on Charlie's site and, and in Pittsburgh because so many guys uh, put Marrero on the Pirates. And, you know, it, it, with the offensive struggles they're having this year, uh, everybody's become a draft expert and, and looks at it and says, this guy can't hit. This is exactly what this team doesn't need. So there's a, there's a, a, a lot of angst in Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, and I've heard some of that too. Believe me, Pirates fans have contacted me because I had Marrero going in the first two mock drafts I did. And I mean, that's it's weird when you do these first round projections. You know, you keep hearing Marrero to Pirates, Marrero to the Pirates, Marrero to the Pirates. But the thing is, when you start, when everybody starts putting Marrero on the Pirates, it just takes on his life. It just perpetuates itself. Um, you know, I think the thinking would be if they took him is obviously they've not had very good long-term shortstop play in Pittsburgh in a very long time. Um, I do think 
there is more upside in the bat than you might sense from just looking at his statistics this year. A lot of you know the NCAA changed the bats drastically two years ago, and granted, you know he's had time to adjust. But you know he went well as a freshman, you know, with the different bats, and he's actually hit better with Wood in the summer than he has with the the really drastically toned down metal bat. So I. I do think there's some more upside there. I mean, I don't think you're looking at him. He's not going to be A-Rod Poitowitzki. But I think you're looking at a guy who definitely stays at shortstop and is a plus defender, and those are very hard to find. And I think you're looking at a guy who can maybe hit 275, um, you know, with some gap power and still some base. Like, like, to me, I think he's got the potential to be better offensively. And not that this guy was great, but just, just for a point of comparison, I don't think he's going to be, you know, as soft bat as, say, Jack Wilson was. I think he can't be better than Jack Wilson. Um, so I think he's better than people might give him credit for based on this statistics. Although, you know, it's funny. You know, I talked to a lot of people about him, and, and some people think, you know, geez, he's not hidden. Uh, you know, when I say people, I mean people in baseball. You know, geez, he's hidden this year, so what's he going to do with word against big league pitchers? And I talked to other people who think he's going to slide a little bit, and you're going to get an everyday shortstop in the middle of the first round. He's going to have a better bat than people expect and could be still in the draft. So I kind of see where Pirates fans are coming from. We'd like a sexier pick at eight. You know, it's, I wouldn't pick him quite that high, but it's not, it's not like they're just making him up out of nothing and he's going to go 30th overall. I mean, if he doesn't go eighth, I think he, he goes somewhere else in the top 15. So, Jim, uh, that, that kind of covers Marrero. In the NFL draft, one of the things that we see every year is th- there's so much scrutiny and everybody thinks they can kind of peg which teams are looking at what. And you've talked a little bit about salary demands, but now that, uh, now that we see guys getting slotted a little more, maybe there's going to be a little less play in the salary aspect of things. Is there anybody who's really jumped up your board or who you maybe think is being undervalued by the baseball community right now? Yeah, uh, there's a guy who jumps out huge to me. I think he might have the best arm in the draft, and I've had multiple scouting directors tell me he has the best arm in the draft, and that's Marcus Stroman from Duke. Hmm. You know, Marcus is a guy who can run his fastball up to 95. His slider's probably, it might be the most devastating pitch in this draft. But, you know, again, he's like I mentioned with Freedom. He's not throwing a lot of change-ups, but he has some aptitude for a pretty good change-up. Very athletic. The problem is he's five foot nine, and... What's funny is, you know, we, 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 scouting directors pick up preseason All-America teams. And at that point, we're just talking about players cutting the abstract. Everybody loves Marcus Stroman. And Marcus has gone out. He's leading the NCAA in strikeouts. I've had a number of guys tell me his numbers have been more impressive if he wasn't a Duke. The, the defense there is just terrible. And, you know, he, he still had a great year. Everybody loves him. But the thing is, I don't – I can't find a team that wants to say, hey, that 5-9 guy is our pick in the first round. And, and it would be one thing if this was a guy who threw with a ton of effort, but it's not. It's incredibly quick arm. It's, you know, it's just very, very athletic. He played shortstop at Duke. I mean, he focused on pitching this year. And, I mean, you know, I don't know if it comes to mind, but the, the comparison comes to mind for everybody with this guy. 5-9, overwhelming breaking ball, very athletic. It's Tom Gordon. And Tom Gordon was a guy who also started in the major leagues for a number of years before he was a closer. It wasn't just, okay, this guy's 5'9", there's no chance to start. And guys get Stroman a chance to start. But I'm telling you, I, I think I'm pure talent. I wouldn't quite take an eighth. But like, if I had the Pirates, I'd at least talk about him. And to me, he'd be a top pick. I, I just I, I cannot see that there are 10 guys draft better than Marcus Stroman. And, and I'm just talking talent. I'm not even factoring the fact that if I'm, if I'm a contender, this guy could pitch in my bullpen this year. And then I could turn him back into the starter next if I want, kind of like the White Sox did with Chris. I mean, this guy, 
And I'm, and I'm also not one of these guys who thinks every player is, you know, jumping from the draft to the big league. This guy is special. But I'm, I'm not convinced that he's going in the first 20 picks. Now, that said, if, if that's really true, I think what's going to happen is, you know, he'll have, his advisor will say, you know, we can get him a home somewhere. And some team, the teams will probably cut a deal and basically steal market stroke, Marcus Stroman at, at below what the pick value is and have a little money spent elsewhere. But I, I just, it just baffles me. And I understand, you know, Lucas Giolito, why nobody knows where he's going right now, because, you know, for the reasons we discussed. You know, and, you know, Lance McCullers Jr. from, you know, high school pitcher from Florida. There's some question, how much is he going to sign for? So he's a little murky. But Marcus Stroman, he's a college junior at Duke. He's not going back for a senior year. The last two summers, he's been dominant with Kate Cott and Kate Cott in Team USA, which is the two highest levels of summer college baseball. Last year, and I don't have to stack this from it, but he pitched about 25 innings between Team USA and the Kid Cod League. And I think he gave up. If he gave up a run, it was unearned. He had something ridiculous like five hits and 35 strikeouts. And, I mean, small sample size and everything, but this guy's ridiculously dominant. And for the life of me, other than the fact that nobody wants to be the guy who says, we're taking the 5 and nine guy, I can't tell what this guy's going to be available. I was talking to a team in the 20s yesterday that was picking in the 20s, who I know likes Marcus Stroman, or, you know, loves him, loves the and everything. And that guy told me, now, this is going to sound stupid, but I almost that we don't have to make a decision on Marcus Stroman. I hope somebody picks him in front of us. And I'm thinking, and I asked him, I was like, really? I mean, you know, this guy would be such a stupid to pick him. And he's like, I'm not sure we would pick him where we sit in the draft. And I know that's six percent, and I have the arm, but I'm not sure we would pick five foot nine guy. And I just think, I, I, I do think when all of a sudden he'll wind up you know, coming to some kind of compromise and taking a, a below pick value deal somewhere in the teens. But it just baffles me because, you know, at 10, 11, 12, I, I, I'd be very seriously thinking about him, and I'm just not hearing it. Jim, as always, great stuff. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, as we told our listeners, they can follow you on Twitter at Jim Callis BA, and uh, it'll be great seeing your, your face on television on Monday. Well, it was good talking to you guys. It's all, I always love some good draft talk. This was good draft talk. And uh, I'm, at this point, you know, it's all bad. i got at least one more mock first round in me, but it's, uh, I like making the call to see who's going where. And it's kind of, you know, that, that I, part of me wants to just get to Monday. Let's find out who is going where. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure you'll get a couple of days to sleep afterward, but we'll have you back on in a couple of weeks, and we'll assess where everything fell out. Yeah, that would be great. All right, appreciate your time. Thanks. Okay, thank you guys. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast, Part 2. He's Charlie, I'm David. More draft talk. Right, and our special guest for this second half of the podcast is Vlad, who you know from Bucks Dugout. Vlad, welcome. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Charlie. We were able to continue with the with, with the draft talk here, and I'm going to start you off with a question that's similar to one I just asked Jim Callis on the, on the first half, which is basically that it seems like there's – the Pirates are, are picking eighth, and it seems like there are, are, of course, seven players who are kind of head and shoulders above the rest. Mark Appel, Byron Buxton, uh, Mike Zanino, Kevin Galsman, Kyle Zimmer, Albert Almora, Carlos Correa. Um, what do you think of the chances that somebody's going to drop from those seven picks to the Pirates, and who do you hope it'll be, realistically? I would not be uh, too surprised to see somebody drop just because this is the first year under the new draft format with the uh, new slotting rules. 
and I think that's going to lead to a lot more uh, angst and uncertainty about signability than there has been in the past. Anytime a team doesn't know whether they can get a guy under contract, whether they like the dollar value on a guy, that's when you see a guy start to drop. Now, I would feel a little bit better about our chances of having one of those guys drop if um, you know, so many of the, uh, the people that you mentioned weren't, uh, weren't college players. Um, because you always have a better chance that a, as a high school guy, uh, there's a little more, a little more uncertainty around their signability. And um, I know Elmore is regarded as pretty signable. So if we were going to see somebody drop, maybe uh, I know a lot of people are saying uh, Zanino because he's, uh, you know, some of the teams in front of us may not want or need a catcher, and there are teams that pick for need, so that's a possibility. It's possible that we is, might... Is, is, Vlad, is there a team that you think of specifically when you say there are teams that pick for need? Well, I mean, the Orioles um, often, they don't actually do a good job of picking for need, but they, in the draft process, kind of go in with an idea of what they're looking for uh, a lot of the time, and then uh, they don't react quite as well to changing circumstances. I mean, you, you saw back in... Um, I think it was 2010 with the Hobgood pick. They decided that they mm-hmm. wanted to take, you know, a cheap, signable uh, high school pitcher. You know, you see how that worked out for them. Um, that was 09, I believe, within the Sanchez okay. draft, right? Yes. But, uh, yeah, I, it, and it's, let's be honest here. If you're going to, if you're going to bet on somebody screwing something up, but uh, tagging the Orioles is not, uh, <laughs> not exactly dumb money. There's, there's something interesting also kind of buried in your question, and that's that I think we've already seen a player drop to a certain extent, and that's uh, obviously uh, Lucas Giolito, because he definitely would have been a top three uh, type of talent without the arm problems. And, I mean, if the top eight guys, you know, top seven guys go where they are, he would be eighth for us. And um, I would take him in a New York minute. I, I really love the kid. Um, you know, you take it. You take him at eight at, right now. Yeah, if I if I had any kind of assurance that he would sign for even you know at, above slot, but not a draft busting above slot. What, what is it? What just re- remind, like remind, me our our remind me and our listeners. Remind me and our listeners what the the pirate slot number is. We're we're in we're a little bit under uh, three million for the yeah. eighth overall pick, and so. Um, what I have heard, and I have no way, of course, no knowing if this is true or not, is that he's looking for about four million. I would still probably take him at that number, you know, but that would put severe constraints on the draft. I would like to try and get him around three and a half, if uh, if it was possible. Um, but I would take him over any of the three big college pitchers in this draft. I think he's uh, he's got better stuff. He's got better mechanics. I mean, I know that sounds funny since he's the guy that's hurt and they're all healthy, but looking at him, he's just cleaner and smoother, and he doesn't show you the ball for, uh, you know, 45 minutes in his delivery the way Apple does. I think he's just as good as uh, Tyone was coming out when we took him. Let's let's stay here because we we did touch on this with Jim as well, but what about the medicals? What would scare you away? In terms of the medicals, what would they have to tell you to scare you off the pick? Because I, I'm kind of with you. I love the idea of taking him, as you know, as long as they told me everything's attached, basically. Um, well, you know, what what would uh, what for you would would take you off the pick? They're really good at fixing elbows these days. Yep. Even if he, even if he needed Tommy John, I mean, that would put him on the shelf for a year. That would suck. But uh, 
you know, there have been teams that took guys high or paid guys high, at least, knowing that they were going to need Tommy John. The Angels did it with um, Nick Adenhart uh, a couple of years back, and that obviously worked out pretty well for them, um, you know, until the whole little car accident. And that's not really connected to the elbow. So, I mean, even if even if it's a complete tear and he needs replacement, I would still I, that would not take him off of my board. I would need something like maybe a stress fracture in the elbow, or maybe uh, maybe an additional shoulder problem. Shoulders are iffy. I don't like messing with shoulders. There's too much going on that you can't tell until you uh, pop the joint open and uh, drop a scope in there. But yeah, I. Um, I'm pretty comfortable taking him, even if he's got a little bit of an elbow problem. You, now, you think there's any chance the Pirates do take him? Well, I mean, there's always a chance up until the pick's in. He's he's big and tall. He throws hard. We know they like both of those things. He's got really good stuff, and he's a smart kid, uh, supposed to be very coachable. Those are all good qualities. Um, I think they would have probably uh, a certain amount of beating that they would take in the media for taking a guy who's injured. I think they would take a certain amount of beating in the media for taking a guy who's a pitcher, given the way of, you know, the slow motion ongoing freak out over the team needing bats, even though the one thing has nothing to do with the other. We know that the team is willing to take a media hit in order to get something accomplished that they think is worth accomplishing. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance. It all depends on what they're hearing from uh, their area scout regarding his signability and whether he or not he's trying to steer himself to a particular uh, team or a particular spot. Uh, Vlad, uh, most of the mock drafts I've seen have Appel and Buxton going with the first two picks. So let's leave those two aside. Where I think things kind of go haywire or could go haywire seems like it might be with the Mariners at number three with Zanino. Let's say that they don't take Zanino and somebody take somebody else, Korea or someone else. How do you see the the next few picks playing out after that? And and is there is that the path that will lead the Pirates to get someone like Zanino? If they don't take Zanino, they probably uh, are still taking a position player because the Mariners are very well uh, set within their system right now for uh, high end pitching. I mean, they they got Holson, they got uh, Taiwan uh, Walker, so they don't. I know, you know, you uh, you don't ever want to accuse somebody of picking purely for need. I did it for the Orioles because I have a little opinion of the Orioles. The Mariners are maybe a little smarter. But a lot of people really like Korea. A lot of people really like Almora. I could see them going for one or the other of them. Probably Korea. I think he's generally seen as being a little bit better prospect of the two. So let's maybe mark him down on there for uh, for three the Orioles need everything. They could take anything. I'm thinking they're probably going to go college pitching. They've got to be on the hot seat a little bit, uh, you know, as far as uh, getting some results. College pitchers would notionally move quickly. Mm. Let's give them uh, maybe Gaussman. Royals are a very scouty team, uh, so they'll take whoever's the highest talent on their board. I don't know. It's possible. It's um. It's a very unsettled year, and the differences between, you know, a guy at maybe four and a guy at maybe 12 are going to be a lot smaller this year than they are in um, in some other drafts that have more high-end talent. I know you guys are talking to Callis, and uh, I think he said maybe a couple of months ago that Buxton would be maybe a seven or an eight overall in last year's class. 
So that kind of tells you all you need to know. I mean, there's always the chance of somebody having, you know, a real big thing for a guy like Lance McCullers. A lot of teams liked him a whole lot going into the season. You know, maybe somebody, um, they want to take a bat. There's no more bats there. They reach for a guy like Courtney Hawkins. I mean, there are, there are a lot of different ways that this could break down. And teams put different grades on guys all the time. You know, we'll just have to have to see how it plays out. T- tell me what you think of Almora. I love him. I love the kid. I think he's as close to uh, Andrew McCutcheon as a talent as you're going to see for uh, for a while here. He's got just such an extensive track record of performing, you know, against top-level competition, performing with wood bats, performing in a variety of circumstances. Scouts have gotten a lot of looks at him, and sometimes that'll make a guy drop a little bit because they get overly familiar with a the kid. They get overly nitpicky. They haven't done that with Almora because there really just isn't a lot of weakness in his profile. You know, he, he run, the worst thing I've heard anybody say for him is that he doesn't have elite top-end speed. He only runs a 6.8. You know, well, if, if the worst thing somebody says about you is that you run a 6.860, then, you know, you're doing just fine. I think, he, I mean, he's got good intangibles. He's uh, got leadership qualities from what I've read. He's a good kid. I think he's a very safe pick and a pick that has a certain amount of star potential, which is just about as good as it gets. Standard thing uh, to the pros, I mean, kind of four years? Yeah, I mean, you you never want to rush a kid. And uh, speaking specifically within our organization, we like to let guys demonstrate mastery at a level before we move them up. So if we were talking about us picking him, I think that's probably a realistic timeline. If you send him to a team that's a little more aggressive about pushing guys, you know, maybe they give him a, a call up late in year three. And again, this also is going to vary a little bit with the new uh, signing deadline. You're going to see guys get under contract more quickly. You're going to see guys um, getting more experience in the fall, which moves everybody's timeline up a little bit. It's going to be really interesting to see how some of that kind of stuff plays out with promotions and service time. Flav, I, I know you don't like uh, Devin, Devin Marrero very much, I'm basically coming around to the idea that the Pirates probably aren't going to pick him, but uh, it's definitely still worth talking about. There are still a lot of people who think that he is going to be the Pirates' pick. Uh, why don't you like him, and, and what do you think the Pirates' chances of picking him at number eight are? I think the chances are a little bit higher than you were saying that they were. He's, you know, we've got that whole public uh, tug of war going on um, between Dehan and uh, Keith Law over, you know, whether they're going to pick him, whether they're not going to pick him. I mean, there are good there are good things about him as a player. The glove is legitimately a strong uh, glove for shortstop. He's smooth. He covers a lot of ground. He's got a good arm. So I mean, he's properly being given credit for that. And this is a particularly weak draft for shortstops. So that you know, if you want a shortstop, you got him. You got given uh, Sacchini, and you got um, a couple of guys that are a little bit later in the draft that are lottery ticket types. And uh, that's about it. The things that I don't like about him, number one, I don't like that he came up small in his junior year. He uh, he showed a lot more power, a lot of people point to in his freshman year, um, a lot more power, a lot more hitting uh, production. That was with the old bats. I think he's maybe a guy who doesn't bar- barrel the ball up very well. Uh, that's death on a hitter's projection. Um, I also don't like that I was here in this spring that he was not given a consistent effort not running balls out, not putting everything into throws on some of his defensive plays. Because, I mean, Major League Baseball is hard. 
I don't care how many uh, natural tools you have, natural gifts you have, you're going to have to work at it. Work is in and of itself enough to get relatively modestly talented guys into the major leagues. I mean, Larry Boa had a 10-year career, and you can't have uh, fewer tools than Larry Boa, you know, as a, as a prospect. But um, he put in the work, and he was able to do it. I think that's a particular concern when you have a guy who has some holes in his offensive profile, and you have concerns about the work ethic. You know, how hard is he really going to work to fill those uh, holes at a level in the minors where he's able to do so, or is he just going to coast on ability until he gets to double A and then kind of run into a wall and say, hey, what happened? I'm also also a little bit concerned because of his cousin. Uh, Chris Marrero was a first-round pick a couple years back. He has sort of a similar physical build in some respects to uh, Devin. And Chris, I mean, he's a decent hitting prospect, but he never really developed the sort of power that he was forecast to develop. And I think some of the people that are high on Devin Marrero are doing it because they expect him to develop, you know, a reasonable amount of power, not like a 40 home run power or anything like that, but good, solid, you know, gap-to-gap power with uh, with some home runs. And I don't know if we can count on that. Biology is not destiny, but at the same time, you know, they're both getting drawn some of the same genes from the same pool. If the one didn't do it, then that's a concern as far as the other. That's kind of where I am on Devin Marrero. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be the worst pick. I mean, that they could make. There are a lot of kids out there that they could that they could take that are worse than Devin Marrero. On a personal level, I would be disappointed if he was the pick because I think they could do better. But you know, I I do this for fun. They do this for a living. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, we asked Jim Callis to rank the the top eight guys in terms of ceiling. Why don't you take a, a, a crack at how you would rank the the, the top eight or, or ten, if you like, in terms of ceiling? Sure, sure. Are we going with the uh, top eight from BA? Uh, well, however you want to, however you want to do it. Okay, I just wondered because they had um, uh, Giolito out of their out of their top eight. Yeah, throw throw it to ten, throw it to ten, and put them in. Okay. As far as ceiling goes, I think you go with uh, Buxton and uh, Korea at uh, number one and two. Um, they have the most uh, the most physical potential, and high school guys in general are almost always going to have uh, more ceiling than college kids. Buxton's got just such a nice tools package that if he maxes out, you know, he's going to be an extremely productive player. Uh, Korea, he's got uh, he's got a really beautiful swing. He's got a very nice all-around package as well. If he could stay at short, that would be pretty tough to beat. Doing it by ceiling is interesting because all of the three uh, top college pitchers have a very um, high ceiling, but I think that some people are kind of sleeping on the amount of bust potential that each of those three guys have. They each have like two-thirds of the package, but not the whole thing. Appel has a good good fastball velocity and a good breaking ball, but... um, doesn't have the results and doesn't have the deception. Gaussman doesn't have the, uh, you know, and Gaussman and Zimmer, um, they only have one secondary pitch each that's really good. They don't have the uh, the full uh, package. I would maybe put Gaussman at the top of those three because he's he's got the best command right now of the, um, he's got better command than Zimmer, and he doesn't, I'm not really really high on Appel's ceiling, to be honest. I think he's I think he shows you too much of the baseball. 
I think you get too good a look at his stuff. I think that's going to be a problem for him. So let's say Buxton, Correa, Gaussman, Zimmer, Almora, Almora. I got to put, uh, <laughs> I got to put uh, the kid from Texas A&M, um, the, the, the righty, what's his name? Waka? Waka, yeah. I got to put him ahead of Appel and then Appel at eight. Um, if you wanted to do top ten, I'd put um, Giolito. Honestly, I would put him at the head of that group. If you moved it from eight out to ten, I would put him. I would put him even ahead of Buxton in terms of ceiling. Now, the likelihood of reaching that ceiling, you know, that's what always knocks pitchers a little further down the board. But in terms of pure ceiling, if he maxes out what he's got, comes back from this elbow thing as strong as he does. I think he's the best player in the draft. Where does Max Fried figure in there for you? Well, he's um, he's an interesting player. I can see what the Pirates like in him. He's uh, He's got a really good curveball. And um, what's interesting, if you look at him, um, is that especially for a high school guy, he commands the curveball well. A lot of guys with a, with a pitch, uh, you know, a breaking ball in high school, they'll either use it as a chase pitch you know, they'll they'll waste one that's just a little bit outside the zone and get guys to try and expand the zone and chase it. Or they'll throw it, you know, four strikes in and of itself. And what he does is a little bit of both. He um he has a good advanced knowledge of pitch uh pitch sequences and uh so if you watch film on him you'll see him set guys up. He doesn't just always throw the uh the curve in the zone, he doesn't just always throw the curve uh, out of the zone but he does always hit his catcher in the mitt with the curve, so it's not like he's commanding it badly. He's doing that on purpose. The only real concern that I have with him is that he doesn't get a lot of, um, a lot of leg drive in his, um, in his uh, motion. I think he's, his lower, uh, lower half of his body is a little bit static and a little bit dead, and um, you know that's something that can maybe be corrected if you work with him. That's part of the reason why his velocity is maybe not all the way where it is or where it was at the start of the season because he's been uh, relying more on the upper body and that'll leave you a little more prone to uh, fatigue as the season goes on. You know, that's why pitchers run, 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 run is to build up the stamina in the legs. Um, and I think he could get a little more out of his legs maybe with uh, different coaching or better coaching. I don't know. I like him. I have, I have kind of a sort of meh feeling about a lot of the guys you know, in the second or third ten of the picks in the first round this year. It's not a real strong draft. I think he's a pretty good bet to succeed. I don't see starbursts for him the way I do for um, a guy like Giolito. But, you know, he's a, he's a good pitcher. He deserves to go pretty high, and um, he has a good chance of success if, uh, if they take him there. Vlad, uh, everybody's <clears throat> most likely a lot of Pirate fans are going to turn their TV off after the eighth pick in the draft, but Obviously, uh, building up the system, these guys who come later are going to make a difference. What are you going to be paying attention to uh, after the, you know, after the first ten picks, after the first round, and what do you expect? Kind of, the, do you expect kind of more of the same in terms of the Pirates and their philosophy of approaching the draft? I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the Pirates do as far as philosophy in this draft because, um, no. you know, we made some personnel changes in the front office over the. Um, over the off season, and so this is going to be, um, you know, the first rodeo with the new scouting director. I'm sure Greg Smith will still have uh, input into uh, into the draft in his new role, but um, 
you know, we might see a little bit different uh, set of organizational priorities. Um, so it'll be interesting to track whether that's happening or whether we're just going with tall, uh, tall right-handed pitchers uh, over and over again. Um, I think it's also going to be interesting to see going uh, forward in the draft how we manage the uh, financials of things, how we decide to apportion the uh, slot dollars that we are allotted, and the, the later rounds on uh, on the draft are really gonna uh, gonna play into that. Like if we take a guy who wants above slot money, like Jolito, um, if you know maybe we have a figure for him, we have a three and a half million, we have a four million figure. We're gonna have to make up those dollars on you know the second pick, the third pick, the fifth pick, in order to be able to sign him without a penalty. So if they take somebody like him, you might see them more likely to go for a uh, a college player or a junior college player who's considered signable. You might see uh, them bump a guy way up on the list. I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of different strategies that teams are trying under this new system this year until everybody figures out what the optimal path is. And it is going to be fascinating uh, seeing uh, how that plays out in the real world from a uh, strategic perspective. You might see teams that go real cheap on the first round and then spread the money around later, like the um, the year we took Tony Sanchez. You might see teams that take a bunch of signability seniors like the Royals did uh, maybe five, ten years ago in the um, uh, draft class where they ended up with uh, Mike Avila's. Um, so, I mean, you could see just about anything in between. You might see teams try to defer picks into the future year if they don't like who they're getting. It's it's going to be fascinating, and um, you know people are allowed to be interested in whatever they're interested in. But uh, you couldn't get me away from the draft after the you know after the Pirates pick. I'm going to be glued right in there, seeing what happens. Uh, Fly, maybe we'll we'll finish with this. Uh, just gun to your head. Who are the Pirates taking it at number eight? Give us a name. You realize you just murdered me, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think you know personally. I think there are like a lot of guys they could consider that they could consider. But if you ask me to pick pick somebody, it's it's not even going to be somebody I think has a, a thirty or forty percent chance of actually being picked by them. You know, it's it's that there's that much going on with this draft. I'm gonna hedge and say Freed, and then I'm gonna go out and like drink or something so I can enjoy my few remaining moments on Earth. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think there's any guy that has more than, you know, 30% chance tops in this. Um, it's, uh, it's very wide open. It's very interesting. A lot of different ways we could go. And on that note, uh, (laughs) we who are about to die salute you. Thank you for having me on the, uh, on the podcast here. I've definitely enjoyed it. Thanks Thanks for joining us. Charlie, two guests today, a lot of interesting draft talk. Uh, we'll find out the answer Monday. You, you, as I said in the Callis interview, you put up a great article. Uh, are you still having the Pirates on Freed like Vlad as well? Yeah, but like him, I don't. I don't think that there's. You know, it's kind of a by default sort of thing. It's. It's. He's the the highest upside guy who's not Giolito who falls to them. I think so. You know, I, I maybe give him give them a thirty percent chance of picking him, but I think that's that's a better chance than anybody else has. So who's your who's your wish pick? Uh, I mean, ideally. Oh wow! I mean, I, realistically, Zanino would fall, or uh, probably even more realistically, 
uh, Almora. Either of those picks, I think, would be would be great picks. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Correa. I'd throw in that group as well. Um, I guess if I had my wish pick, uh, I'd love to see the Pirates take Giolito. I know there's obviously risk factors there. Uh, he, again, a pitcher, maybe there's, there's some critiquing of that, but a, a, another top-end arm in the system, you know, it, it looks like he's going to be there at eight. And as Jim said, nobody knows what his bonus demands are going to be. So that'll be an interesting guy to see where he goes. Uh, I guess if I had if I had my choice, <clears throat> that's what I'd, you know, that would be the Christmas present for me. Right, and I, I think that the key here is is that, you know, when you're thinking about taking someone like Marrero, to me, like I said in the SB Nation Pittsburgh article, whether or not he's in a vacuum, he's worthy of the eighth pick is not really important to me because it's it's really critical for a team in the Pirates situation to pursue guys that might be stars because it's so hard for them to get stars in other ways. So if, if they think that, that the medical risk with Giolito is worth it, uh, and it might be, then that certainly makes a lot of sense. Then again, based on what I've heard, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Giolito fall out of the first round entirely. Yeah, well, we've seen the Penguins get to have extraordinary success in the draft over the years. Uh, luck at the top of the draft. We've seen the Steelers this past year kind of really have two guys fall to them in the first and second round to solidify their offensive line. Maybe for a change, the Pirates will get some luck here and, uh, and get a name that makes everybody happy. Knock on wood. All right. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests, Jim Callis and Vlad. And you can follow Charlie on Twitter at Bucks Dugout. You can follow me at DT on Pirates. And as always, thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast.